As a kid, you have the sense of the possible. You can do anything. You can be anything. You pretend to be an explorer. You pretend to be, um, you know, a doctor or an astronaut. You're, it's limitless. And then when you get older, you put limits on yourself. And what I love about Jonathan is, is he doesn't have any limits. <laughs> this is the Adventure Mindset Podcast. We're your hosts, Tanya and Adam, travel filmmakers living in our camper van and out of our backpacks for the last four years. Through our experience and through conversations with others, we discuss travel, adventure, courage and mindset. You'll hear from guests who remind us that life is short, that personal growth matters and that adventure is for everyone, whatever adventure means to you. Subscribe to join our community. This is the Adventure Mindset Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Mindset Podcast. We are still here, we're in Nepal. <laughs> and... and uh, Admittedly, I am metaphorically holding my eyes open with toothpicks. Adam. Tony's resources, it's quite late and we've got to be up really early tomorrow. We've spent a day preparing because tomorrow we are off hiking. And we're trekking. Going, trekking. Sorry, I've learned, I've learned the difference actually. For those listening who don't know, hiking is just a day thing. You go off and then you come back. Trekking is you go somewhere, you stay the night, and then you continue on the next day. So for however many days that is. I didn't really know. We speak to people who trek and to hike, and I didn't really yeah. know that until recently. But anyway, that's by the by. <laughs> um, we are going on a five-day trek tomorrow off into the mountains of Nepal, and we're very, very excited about it. So, yeah. As you're listening to this, we will be starting our descent on the way back down mm. to finish our trek. But that's why I said we're recording this a bit early, getting it already, getting it prepped so that our, it goes out. Early ahead of the show, late at night. Yes. So I'm 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 a bit yeah, we're tired. tired. We're tired, we're tired, but, but we're but you know what? Every time we hit record, I get all buzzy because we <laughs> you know, we just listen back to the conversation that we are going to be yeah, sharing a, with you. It's a great one. Oh. So with that in mind, we are going to keep this intro shorter because this episode is longer than some of others. Or at least we said we were going to keep this intro shorter, so let's try. Okay, <laughs> okay. who are we speaking to, Tanya, today? Okay, Roseanne and Jonathan Hansen, absolute legends. They are accomplished writers, photographers, artists, biologists, and explorers. They're like literally everything under the sun. They've spent the last 35 years taking on some epic overlanding adventures all over the world. And in fact, Jonathan has co-authored a book that many regard as the Bible of expedition travel. Can you imagine being able to say that? And uh, not only that, but they are also founders of the highly respected Overlanding Expo and now the new upcoming Exploration Quarterly magazine, which, by the way, as a listener, you'll be getting a exclusive discount with the code Adventure. So details all, all on that are in the show notes, yeah, and they, also you'll hear about it in later on in the conversation. Yeah. But we're 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 super happy and super proud. Yeah, that's it. So they are a very multifaceted couple. Mm -hmm. So this is a very multifaceted conversation, actually. Yes. So. Please do like it. I know it's a longer one than some others, but if you we were actually considering putting this into two episodes, but we were like, no, we'll keep it as one, put it all out. And if you need to stop and come back to it because it's too long for your commute or your dog walk or whatever it is you do when you're listening to this, maybe the washing up doesn't take you an hour and a half. <laughs> um, 
So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. So uh, come back, yeah, come back to this one if it's a long one because it's a really good conversation and it kind of goes from strength to strength. I, I think. But anyway, in this conversation, we talk about their work and relationship to the natural world as conservationists and biologists, and what it means to be a naturalist and why this work is important. Naturalist, not naturist. That's the mistake I first met when we were looking into naturalists. Go on, tell us the difference. I'll I'll leave that to the listeners. <laughs> one, one one is the one where you do things in the yeah. in, in the nude. Yeah, I think I think people know. <laughs> I think people know that. Anyway, but just in case. Just in case. Um, there's some good old-fashioned adventure stories in there, like the time they had to flee from a vanload of bandits armed with AK-47s. Um, I mean, can I just say, 35 years of... of no, you can't. We're trying to keep this short. We also... <laughs> <laughs> I have to finish this sentence. 35, okay, 35 years of just world travel, expedition, sea kayaking, road trips, all of it. They have done it all and yeah the stories you just you gotta you listen to the stories yeah it's great we also talk about creativity mindset and the fact that exploration isn't only about travel but it can also mean exploring new ideas learning new things and digging into good books so there we go that that is our intro i don't know if that was actually shorter but well, there it is. It's done now. Let's let's let's, let's people let's let people listen to the conversation. Yeah, here we go. This is Roseanne and Jonathan Hansen, the amazing power couple. Amazing power couple. Roseanne, Jonathan, what an absolute pleasure it is to have you on the podcast. We are so so stoked, particularly because I can't think of a better couple to speak on adventure. You guys have been doing this for <laughs> decades, so welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Happy to be here. <laughs> we're super happy to be here. <laughs> Where whereabouts are you? We're at our place in Tucson right now. And we're getting ready to head to Alaska as soon as we get a few work items done here. Amazing. What oh. are you doing in Alaska? Uh, we have, we, we found a very cool old 1938 cabin in, in a small neighborhood in downtown Fairbanks. That's kind of our Arctic, semi-Arctic getaway from the desert, except we've been sort of doing things backwards recently. We spent winter in Alaska and we're probably spending the early summer here. So it's kind of the opposite of snowbirds. We got it backwards, but we kind of like it. Yeah. Minus 39 in Alaska was really a, a trial by ice. Wow. Minus 39 Fahrenheit. So what is that in Celsius? That's very close. Very Minus close, 40 yeah. is the same. Whoa, <laughs> that is cold i don't think i've well i know i've never been anywhere anywhere near as cold as that it's all about clothing <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's an old swedish saying that says something like there's no such thing as bad weather just bad clothing Absolutely. That's... <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> all the layers and i'm sure hot water bottles which has always been my trick for keeping warm <laughs> uh, in, in in our in our van jits before we got our diesel heater we had um, a hot water bottle that I would stuff down my front, like on my tummy, and then also my back. So I was kind of sandwiched in between two of them. And that was that was amazing. But I, I can't even imagine the the cold that, 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 that you guys uh, will experience there. But how exciting. Um, so you two have been together for almost 40 years. And when we read through your life's accomplishments, 
What I absolutely love is that you have been extremely successful both individually, but together as a couple, you have co-authored books, you have ran workshops, you have also founded the Overlanding Expo. And I just would love to know, I would love to start of where where and how you met and all the way back in the day, could you have foreseen that there was a life of kind of travel and adventure that lay ahead of you? Yeah. That's mm. you. Well, let's see. We met in a bar and we were introduced by a drug smuggler. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that might have foretold there. <laughs> okay, true. what? <laughs> that was a bit of hyperbole, but um, sort of. Not nice. really. Um, <laughs> We were both in college uh, at the time. I was 10 years behind in college. I was, I was a slow starter. And we had a mutual friend who I knew uh, separately from Roseanne. And indeed, he made his money running drugs across the border and then put himself through a college with the money and eventually became a lawyer. Oh, my God. And he, he's still one of our dear friends. But he was he was the one who got us together after after much trying because both of us resisted for a while. But we grew up just a few miles from each other and our families knew each other. And I actually figured out that I was uh, we went to church together. Our parents were both Catholic and Irish Catholic. And um, so our siblings knew each other. But Jonathan's 10 years older than I, so I figured I was in his house uh, once for a, a church meeting thing called um, Catechism. Those of you who are Catholic will know. His little brother was my age, is my age. But Jonathan's 10 years older, so when I was eight, he was 18. So that was a bit weird. <laughs> so I didn't make any moves on her at that point. Good. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. yeah. So did, did, we, did we know when we got married that this would be how we would end up. Um, see, well, we aren't the type of people who plan. We didn't have like a life plan. I know a lot of people have a, a plan intensely. Um, we tend to live more in the moment and, and go with opportunities. And quite early on in our years together, we, we started seizing opportunities. We call it jumping off cliffs. And you, you don't know when you jump off that cliff if your parachute's going to open, but you just have to trust that it will. Mm. And I think the first time we did that, we had only been married um, about six years, seven years. The big jump. The big jump. We had finished university and were writing and we both had job jobs. We brick and mortar jobs and Jonathan um, was working also. He had his own business, um, which he always, always had as a construction and repair and remodeling for houses. And mm -hmm. we were given an opportunity to move to a remote location on a wildlife refuge, really far away from anything. I mean, it was off the grid. It was an incredible wilderness in, in southern Arizona, but no pay. Mm. Nothing but, this is 1990-something, 95, and no pay, no anything, just an old phone line that was it. This is before the internet, remember? And we did it. We quit our jobs and we moved to the middle of nowhere with no foreseeable income <laughs> and nothing at all. I think we had like a couple hundred dollars in the bank. 
And that was it. That was the beginning of our lives of, of jumping off the cliff. And and what, why? What, what made you do that? What made you leave your jobs and go into the middle of nowhere for no money? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> uh, it, it was because being out in, in the natural world was a part of both of our lives forever. Mm-hmm. And we didn't like being separated from it. Since we were married, we had we had traveled a lot as as much as we could on a budget, gotten out in it. But this was an opportunity to get back and immerse ourselves in it more than we were even able to do as children. And both of us as children had a lot of exposure to the natural world. But this was on an entirely different level. Um, at the time, we were both working on I was working on leading sea kayak trips and working as a freelance writer. Roseanne had been a writer for a while, but those were had yet to be full-time income. Mm -hmm. So this was a chance to make or break our, our our careers as freelancers. That's why we took the opportunity. We knew the, the living costs would be extremely low where we were. (laughs) And it was, it was just the right point to jump, jump in and go full-time as self-employed writers, naturalists, and it worked. Yes, we studied ecology and evolutionary biology in college. And uh, so we are naturalists. A naturalist is, rather, rather than a scientist, which is s- someone who studies something, a subject or subjects intensely, and you publish on it and you might teach on it, mm-hmm. a naturalist is is very broadly based. So you learn the plants, the birds, the the ecosystems, the everything, reptiles, and then you share that. And we shared it in writing. We wrote books. Mm-hmm. So we immediately started getting book contracts. I mean, we worked really hard to get them. They didn't just fall from the sky. <laughs> um, those really launched us. So we also had the opportunity because it was a United, United States Fish and Wildlife Service property. So this is a federal wildlife refuge so we also led tours and really honed our skills as teachers at that time leading people into wilderness hikes there were mountain lions lived right around the house and this might seem like a really obvious question but why is the work of a naturalist important how does it contribute to society it it contributes because the the work that the Fantastic work that scientists do, biologists, uh, well, any scientist, but in our case, mostly biologists, while it's extremely important, can be very, very esoteric when they are are down to the level of studying genomes and individual species and interactions. Uh, It's critical work, but it's hard for the general public that might be interested to, to understand it. So the naturalist's job is to know just enough about hard science to be able to take that hard science and make it enjoyable and easier to read. And this is proven. The more you know about something, the more the more closely you can come to know and love it. And if you love something, you're more likely to protect it. So translating the science into something people can really understand and get into, like I... I led a class yesterday on drawing trees, and and we were learning about some amazing uh, trees in New Zealand, for example, that 
create their own ecosystem by altering the soil. Oh and, you know, a scientist would start talking to the people about, oh, yes, it's a process of podsolization and, you know, <laughs> altering the acidity of the soil, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you're going to lose people at podsolization. And so... <laughs> at what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So learning how to talk about that, and then you learn that there are trees that you know are doing things that you just it's mind blowing. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's basically it's making knowledge about nature accessible for people who aren't necessarily scientifically educated. Exactly. And making it more interesting for the layman as exactly. well. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So you both obviously have a great love for the outdoors for nature for the wilderness why do you think it's important for people to be connected to the wilderness you mentioned conservation of course but what has mm -hmm. nature done for you specifically like emotionally spiritually mentally however you however you like to frame it what is it about the wilderness that draws you hmm. Hmm. we we actually came about it uh our love for, for nature in completely opposite ways. Roseanne had a wonderful childhood, a loving family, and they spent a lot of time out. They had a, they lived in a house that was very close to, to the wild and they went on family camping trips. Their father was out doing rock hounding yeah. with them. <laughs> uh, so she had this, this really wonderful introduction to it and just grew up naturally loving it. I, on the other hand, had a really shitty family life uh, with a with a horrible stepfather. So I also happened to live close to the natural world outside of Tucson. So for me, it was an escape. Mm -hmm. Getting getting away from the house and spending time out in the wilderness was was my escape. So we wound up in the same place, but coming at it from 180 degrees, basically. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I love that. And. And Roseanne, one thing that I'd love for you to touch on, because for those listening and the, that, that are tuning in and, and thinking, okay, you said earlier that anyone can become a, a naturalist. I'd love for you to describe how you sit in nature and you draw, because, you know, we'll obviously we'll link your Instagram and your website and everything in the show notes and so that people can see your work. But I, I just love the level of detail that you have in your notebooks. If you could describe that for the listeners, I would absolutely love that. Sure, sure. So I've been take I've been keeping a journal since I was eight years old. And um, so that's 50 years now. <laughs> that's like mind blowing. Whoa. And they were, you know, they were girl journals at first, but also my dad built me a weather station when I was about eight, nine years old. Back in the day when they built it out of this, it was a little wooden station that you had out. And every day at four o'clock, I would go out because you have to take the weather at the same time. And dad would show me how to fill out my notebooks. So I've been keeping a kind of a nature-based notebook for a very long time. In college, it was very scientific. But about 10 years ago, I think, well, I started trying wanting to add sketches because I knew... Well, I was very, I'm always very drawn to the visual. And I think humans, uh, most of us are drawn to the visual, Tanya said, as, as you said, you know, you love to see these pictures. You love to see what I've drawn. <laughs> um, I think it's very natural that we 
want to see beautiful sketches or images because more than half of our brain is wired to to support our eyes. So we're visual animals. Mm -hmm. I started teaching myself how to sketch. I really wanted to have more of a sketch-based journal as well as science-based. And it's just trial and trial and trial. You just keep doing it. I I will go out, we'll be on a, whether it's an expedition or a day out in the, in the wilds, and I will, will just take notes of everything that's around me. And the reason I do that is it's a sense of, of awareness. It's a, a mindfulness practice. When you sit down to journal, everything else gets shut off. You actually, you actually have to be careful where you see yourself because you sort of end up in this space where you're, you're just open to everything around you, but the, your situational awareness kind of diminishes a little bit. So you want to make sure you're not sitting where a mountain lion can jump on you, but, um, <laughs> which I've done silly things like that, but the, the, the mindfulness, the awareness is so important to our personal growth and our mental health because when we can shut off our phones and our access to, to the internet and, and all the noise, it's the modern noise the constant notifications, the constant, somebody wants you, you've, you've got, you know, ping, ping, mm-hmm. ping, there's things going on. Taking time to get off that and be immersed in something bigger than yourself is so important. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We actually recently spoke to someone on the podcast who is based in Japan and we got onto the topic of forest bathing, yes. which is effectively... Exactly that. It's just instead of just walking through a place, it's sitting down and immersing yourself within it. And as soon as you sit down in the wild or in the wilderness, it comes alive around you because obviously everything sees you coming a mile off. So you're walking, you're, you know, your feet pounding through the, the woods, everything just scatters and all you see is the trees or you notice there's the trees unless you s- sit down, really try and focus on it and let it come to you. Then I think you experience the wilderness in a more kind of three-dimensional way, more immersive quite, way. Quite true. Very much so. And that's, we we tend to want to get somewhere. <clears throat> we tend to want to, you know, go have a goal, you know, oh, you started the trail and then, oh, I have to get to the top of, of the ridge or mm-hmm. the hill or, uh, but we like to say, gosh, when we did a recent class, we did a, a field arts boot camp together, we call it. And this is a chance for adults to get to play in the in the wilds with no excuses. <laughs> we always choose an area in the wilderness with no internet connection because we want people to not use their phones and get away. Mm-hmm. It took two hours to go. How far did we go? Like 200 yards? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um not very far, you know, a few hundred meters, wow. because we were leading the group on a discovery, a, a, a field arts discovery. So, you know, this cool plant, or Jonathan caught a snake, or, uh, and then we'd have to study the snake, and people would draw it, and we would talk about all the, the features, or this simple plant that we all got down on our bellies, literally in the dirt, and discovered this common wildflower that we had all seen actually had a strange color on its upper petals that we discovered later was the signal to bees that it had already been pollinated and we didn't know that until we got down on our hands and knees so 
That's amazing. Yeah. It just goes to show how much there is to, to see. If you can just do 200 yards in two hours, then yeah, there's just so much exactly. to see when you really pay attention like that. I think that's beautiful. One of the things that you mentioned was about when you go off on expeditions. And of course, that is the amazing thing about travel and these expeditions that you've done because you have really and truly immersed yourself in nature and these decades of exploration that you've gone on. And so maybe we could start by talking about your um your book Jonathan so I I know that you've co-authored a book that many regard as the bible of expedition travel we would love to talk to you about where your travels and your overlanding adventures have taken you sure well I I I feel uh, free to brag about the the vehicle dependent expedition guide since I'm a latecomer to it and the the fellow who started it is was was a god to me at the time <laughs> I I remember reading Tom Shepard's articles in four wheel drive magazines back in the 1980s and 90s he's an Englishman an ex Royal Air Force test pilot wow. uh, led the first west to east crossing of the Sahara Desert by Land Rover in 1975. Wow. And then start began began doing solo explorations on his own in the Sahara, deep into the Sahara, and writing occasional articles for American magazines. And and I followed him closely. In in 1999, I I learned that he had written this book called The Vehicle Dependent Expedition Guide that was going to be for sale at Land Rover dealers in the US. So I drove from Tucson to Phoenix to the Range Rover dealer in Scottsdale and stood in line behind this woman who had just bought a Range Rover and who was just agonizing over which spare tire cover she wanted, the the one with the leopard on it or the one with the rhinoceros on it. And I had to wait while she decided which spare tire cover she wanted. Big decision. Finally, she went away and I was able to buy this hardbound, this hardbound book and I took it home and devoured it. It, it, it became my my Bible for, for mm-hmm. overland travel. And then flash, flash forward several years, decades, uh, when I was the editor of, uh, founding editor of Overland Journal magazine, made contact with Tom uh, to do some writing for us. And Roseanne and I then wound up being able to go to England and visit him. And- Well, we, I'll, just, I'll just say those two, they're like brothers from a different mother. They're like <laughs> identical in so many ways, and they just hit it off and we, became we did hit dear, it off well. dear friends. Yeah, yeah. we were we were expecting. I mean, you 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 visit an ex test pilot, and you you expect this arrogant dude. Couldn't couldn't yeah. be farther from the truth. He's a dear 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 man. Now just about to turn ninety. Wow. Uh, anyway, we became we became friends, and uh, he wrote for us. We visited him several times, and I I urged him to do an update of the vehicle dependent expedition guide to do more. And out of the blue, he asked me if I would be willing to contribute to it, and I said, "Well, sure." I, I was just figuring he'd have me do a few chapters, maybe some things about the North American scene. And the next thing I knew, he had emailed me a mock-up of the cover with my name as co-author. Wow. So that's how that, that came awesome. about. And it was, yeah, yeah, it was a it was a thrill for me. And we've, we've done uh, several updates since then. Yeah. And over the years, we've, I mean, we've 
not done anything quite as epic as Tom has done, but our our overlanding has ranged from driving to Baja in our in our land cruiser to serious expeditions. We did we did a recreated a an expedition across the the Libyan desert in Egypt, um, which was a pretty epic vehicle expedition. We were part of a, a group that was recreating a 1912 expedition. We've also bought a Land Cruiser accidentally in Australia and drove it around Australia for a few years before shipping it to Africa and driving it across Africa. And then we shipped it home. So we've, we've done quite a lot, but everything from very simple to very, very difficult. You don't have to do crazy stuff to enjoy overlanding. Yeah, true. but you know, I'm sure you have done some crazy stuff. I'd love to know, how, do you have any, like, I can't believe we did that moment? Oh, well, my, well, mine is probably is a separate one from Roseanne, I have to mm. say. Uh, <laughs> a, years and years ago, a friend of mine and I tried to cross the Gulf of California in sea kayaks by hopping from island to island. Which is, a, it's a very dangerous um, body of water uh, because it's narrow. Narrow, a lot of tidal movement. There are currents that hit 12, 13 knots there and sudden storms that come up. And I'd been, I'd been sea kayaking for about three months when I decided <laughs> oh, to try this. Uh, my, my friend, fortunately, was more, uh, much more experienced. Anyway, we made it about halfway across to an island and then we're just completely stormed in for nearly a week and finally had to retreat. But that was, that would probably be my epic, I can't believe I did that <laughs> trip, I think. That's true. So for, yeah, if we're talking about trips, I'm, I'm trying to decide between another kayaking trip when we sea kayaked down the Mackenzie River in Canada to the Arctic Ocean, um, which was, you know, a quite a stretch for me at the time. We had to wear dry suits um, along the Arctic Ocean because the water was so cold. If you went under, it would be... Um, death. Death. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was... Sales so that pitch. Was, that was, yeah. Um, you know, and there were... At the time, we, we got to Toktoyoktuk on the Arctic coast. They had just seen a polar bear, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? Um Though I, I got hit by a hilarious reality and having been so, it was quite an adventurous trip for me. Uh, Jonathan was a very experienced kayaker by that time. And we were in two kayaks. We don't, we don't do tandems well on bicycle or kayaks. Yeah, we end up hitting each other. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work out so well. But, um, you know, we had done this, what it took us about 10 days to paddle to Taktoyaktuk and we landed. It was it's an Inuit village on the coast. And and my, my wake-up call was, was great because there was some people came down. They're like, whoa, there's these, there's these non-Inuit people coming in kayaks. They've just landed. Let's go down and see what the heck they're doing. And there were two teenage girls who um, came up to us and were just kind of looking quizzically at us. And then one of them said... So in, in that very slow Inuit fashion, she said, so... Is this your idea of a dream vacation? <laughs> and we both said, oh well, yeah, yeah, actually it is. We, we really wanted to do this. And there was another long, long silence where she kind of nodded. And then finally she said, man, 
I'd have been in Hawaii. <laughs> Oh my god! Can't make that up. That's amazing. It was classic. So that was kind of my my moment. Yeah, I mean that is a fair question. Sure, that is a fair question. But but why is that your dream holiday over going to Hawaii? Could you like what was your answer? Mm. Ugh. Oh, Hawaii. No. (laughs) Um, Yeah, for for us, it was the wilderness, the wild, the challenge. Um, You're going to a beach in Hawaii with hundreds of other people. I mean, I know there are places you can get away, but for us, the iconic Hawaii is a, you know, a Waikiki style vacation, which, yeah, I'd, I'd rather... Run from polar bears. Run, run from polar bears than than tourists. Okay, so let's take Hawaii. Hawaii is off the table, but, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is why would you go and do something that is so challenging mm. and that is potentially dangerous and that isn't comfortable rather than going on, you know, to a lovely... Beach. You can have the beach yourself. Let's say you can have the beach yourself, but it's nice and warm and comfortable. Why? Why would you go for the challenge? Mm, my mom, my mother kept asking the same question. <laughs> um. uh, well, personally, for me, I one of another one of my escapes as a, as a child was reading, and I I devoured books on exploration. So for me, there was always an attraction to the Arctic because I read the books by. Uh, Perry and Amundsen and those early explorers and was extremely attracted to the idea of a, a genuine wilderness more so mm-hmm. than we can find in 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 Arizona. But but uh, how did you come to a sense that you could do that yourself? Good question. Hmm. Good question. I read several stories about people who had canoed down the Mackenzie. I knew it was possible. I knew it, there was uh, it was possible for sea kayaks to do it. Uh, we knew you could drive to Inuvik. We knew there were flight services back from Tuktoyaktuk to fly the boats back. So I just did uh, enough research at the time, non-internet research, of course, to convince me that it was uh, it, that it was possible for us to do. And indeed, it was. It was challenging, but very challenging, but doable. But so this is this is one of the things that attracted me to Jonathan from the get-go as a as a 19-year-old girl when I met Jonathan was his sense of the possible. And that's something Mm. we all have that as you grow older, I think people, as a kid, you have the sense of the possible. You can do anything, you can be anything. You pretend to be an explorer, you pretend to be uh, you know, a doctor or an astronaut, it's limitless. And then when you get older, you put limits on yourself. And what I love about Jonathan is is he doesn't have any limits. <laughs> That's great. I, I was going to say. Sometimes that drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. When Jonathan was answering the question about why did you think you could do it, he was going, well, it's possible. So yes, if it's practically it's possible. possible, then why can't I do it? Mm-hmm. So there was no exactly. question. There's no question of the self-doubt of the can we do that as individuals. It's like if it's right. possible, it's, I can do it. And it, it's the jumping off the cliff as well. You just have to do it. And we've over the years since we founded Overland Expo, uh, I've met hundreds and hundreds of people who some of them do it. They they dream of driving around the world or riding their motorcycle around the world or their bicycle. And many of them do it, but many, many more I meet, they spend all their time preparing and thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, I just tell them, we tell them, stop thinking about yeah. it, just do it. 
things will work out. Uh, don't think you have to plan everything. We rarely plan very hard. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, certain expeditions you have to when you're in charge of other people. But when it's just us traveling, we, we tend to, to just kind of go with what lays before us. But again, getting back to just just go. Uh, you don't need an expensive, fancy vehicle. Our 1993 Toyota Land Cruiser is not fancy. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty fancy, though, compared to what a lot of people have driven around the world. And our friend Lorraine bought a, a $700 van in the 19, early 2000s, I think. And she drove it from Alaska to Ushuaia. Wow. No fancy roof racks and sand ladders and stuff bolted all over it. It was just an old van. So yeah. you don't need all the fancy stuff. You don't need yeah. the so. the fridges and the solar, everything. You just do it. You just do it. So I, I noticed that actually probably your next question is the one what one great piece of overlanding advice <laughs> that is underrated or overlooked and that that piece of advice from me would be stop accessorizing and leave We've <laughs> nice met so many people who think they can't possibly go until they've got the light bar <laughs> and the 270 degree awning and the fridge and an endless an endless list of Accessories or excuses, depending on how you want to look at it, to not actually go. And we've done uh, trips with nothing but just a bare vehicle and a sleeping bag and a nice chest. Yeah, I love that piece of advice, Jonathan, because it's like, is it accessories or excuses? And and just leave. I mean, for us, it was it's a, a different story. But jits, if if you want to. Yeah, so we inherited my uh, our camper van from my mum. She passed away and left us jits. A lot of people listening will be familiar with jits. Um, but she was an old, well, she still is an old rusty camper van. And yeah, it was what we had. Like I, at the time, stupidly wanted something a lot more fancy, but mainly from like an aesthetic point of view. I wanted something that was Instagrammable and cool and like bright orange VW <laughs> or something from like, you know, one of those split screens. But to be honest, like jits was... Totally functional, did the job. And we went away and we did our first year and it could have been a lot shorter, but we did our first year in JITS. And then after that, we decided, okay, to continue, what upgrades do we want to do and can we afford mm -hmm. for like the next year? Mm -hmm. Rather than spending lots of money doing upgrades before leaving, we do it afterwards. And Perfect. I think often as well, like adventure, like money can be seen as a barrier for adventure. And I think, yeah, you know, there are certain like comforts you've got if you've got some savings behind you or something like that then it makes it feel safe and it's less scary for sure but i also think that a lot of the best adventures come from the shoestring budgets and you know you're not going to forget it i was oh, listening yeah. to oh god i can't remember his name now the, the co-founder of wired magazine and he was saying he went off in his 20s and he was just exploring asia for the whole of his 20s and his piece of life advice is do something that looks like the opposite of success to most people. And that will more often than not 
become your platform for whatever your version of success is going to be. Um, and obviously, mm. he's a founder of a magazine, so he's coming from a, a very... It worked out for him. It might not work for everyone, but I still think it's an interesting piece of advice because so often we can just follow the route of the safe route, the, the get a job that earns some money, the save your money, retire and try yeah. and work your way. And then yeah. when you retire, That's, then you'll enjoy your life in your free time yeah. and then you can go off on a holiday rather than incorporate adventure and exploration into your life, your full life. And I think that's why in yeah. particular, we're incredibly inspired by both of you because adventure, real true adventure has just weaved into the narrative of your life seem seamlessly. And that attitude of if it's possible, if it's practically possible, then we'll go for it. Yeah. Even if we don't have all of the trinkets and everything, we'll just do it. And I think that, you know, this is a great segue into talking about the mindset, the adventure mindset that you need to get you through that, because we've mentioned it earlier, is that these are really challenging things, right? They require grit and perseverance and it's not going to be easy the it, whole way so it, you, exactly. you need the right mindset to carry on doing them when they're difficult and so for for both of you it, do you have something that you say to yourself is there like a mantra or like what what is what is your mindset when it, you're extremely cold or you're extremely sore or extremely hot hot or there's <laughs> lactic acid building up in your legs and you just feel like you can't go on more but you have to like what is it inside of you that propels you to continue to to push forward uh, I'm not sure my answer is going to sound the way you might want it to. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm when I'm in the when I'm in those situations, I very rarely, if ever, think, "Oh my God, this is horrible! I can't do this! I need to stop." Mm -hmm. I, I'm always I always just uh, look one step ahead, one turn of the pedals ahead, one more paddle ahead. And know in my head that if I just do that, I can do one more and then I'll do one more and then I'll do one more and eventually I'll get there. And that's the same process we use at a higher level for, for living, really. When things go really, really badly in your life, you just know if you just keep at it, things will get better. It doesn't seem like it. We we had some challenges the last few years that really put that to the test. Just deal with one thing at a time and things will come around. So it's that same, the next, that next pedal pusher, paddle or. Mm, I guess it's, it's the whole sentiment that you can endure anything for one second. So if you just endure it for one second at a time, then those seconds accumulate and then that's it. You've, you've completed the whole thing. Yeah. Exactly. I think fear right, yeah. stops us. Fear, fear uh, is a big part of our society in the West uh, because we don't have a lot of challenges anymore to live. Um, when when we work in Africa, I, I was fortunate to work in East Africa in as a conservation program director for several organizations, and I saw really firsthand how many many people struggle just to put food on their table or their <laughs> not to have their children die of diseases or or uh, animals killing them or or what have you so in the west we have such an easy life 
you know, you turn on, there's a switch on the wall for your electricity. The water comes out of your tap without you worrying about it having cholera or <laughs> things mm. in it that'll kill you. So when people do jump to adventuring, that fear bubbles up and, and we're like, oh my gosh, what, what are we going to do? Where are we going to sleep tonight? Uh, what if bandits come? Well, we've been there. We've done that. They do come and you, you do figure it out. But, but by and large, you, you just get through and then you have these incredible experiences and it, it's somewhat addicting, isn't it? You just, we could never have real jobs. <laughs> we, we could never go back to the nine to five having a boss. Afraid not. Oh my goodness, no. Oh, heavens. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's really interesting what you say there about challenges and perspective and how once you face challenges... That are, you've seen people that face challenges that are real day-to-day -day challenges that they don't have a choice about, then other challenges feel more accessible. I'd love to hear, I don't have a fancy, well-articulated question at all about this, but I just want to hear some good travel stories. What are your favorite travel stories to share? Like you mentioned there, bandits will come and you're like, they have, and we've been there, we've done that. That made me, I just want to hear more about some of your adventures. All right, this is a good one because we have a, we, we describe this particular incident from completely different perspective it's true. right yeah. oh my gosh yeah this, this is the bandit one of this those particular travel, bandit yeah it's one of okay. those travel moments where i wanted to kill jonathan if we survived <laughs> so we were uh this was the the 2012 expedition to recreate the 1912 expedition uh mm -hmm. around the western oases in in egypt we had uh three three toyota land cruisers we had an egyptian guide who was familiar with the area and we were uh, trying to retrace this route as closely as possible. The problem was they were on camels, we were in vehicles. A lot of the places they went on camels were now roads, but a lot of the places were still completely off tracks. And at one point on one day, we were following an old British railroad track. And from the other direction came these two Land Cruiser pickups packed with guys in the back carrying AK-47s. Oh my God. And they came roaring up to us and told our guide, said, listen, there, there are bandits <laughs> ahead of you. We can get you past them. And our guide said, oh, okay. Ugh. So and then at these, this point, I'm just like, these guys turned what? around and we started following them. And both Roseanne and I were thinking, you know, this doesn't seem right. I'm like, no, no, And no. for a while, these got these two truckloads full of guys with AK-47s just kind of trundled along. And then suddenly they took off at high speed down, down this track. Oh my and God. at that point, we stopped our guide and said, this isn't right. And he said, he said, yeah, I'm afraid, I'm afraid you're right. And we said, <laughs> those guys are the bandits. They're not getting us past the bandits. They're taking us to a spot where they they're, can they're, rob us. And... They're running ahead to set up their little ambush. And he said, oh, yeah, afraid so. So we had to get away. And the only the only way to get away was to drive the vehicles over the old British railroad tracks and then go straight cross country through sand dunes to get to a highway that was about 50 kilometers away. Oh, and it was the most fun I'd ever had in my life. <laughs> oh my I got God. to blast straight across the desert in a land cruiser at high speed running from bandits it was awesome i was laughing hysterically the whole time having roseanne film with her iphone and she was cursing at me because i was making light of this situation where we were about to possibly being overtaken by guys with guns but 
Oh my it was, god! It sounds it like a awesome. scene from Indiana Jones. It yeah. was. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't awesome, but we survived. Um, <laughs> wow! And yeah, always, always know your guides and get good ones. Um, yeah, that one didn't work so out. You so you got well. away. You managed to get to the to the highway, and you uh, we got to the highway, and yeah, we and went never on. saw the bandits we did again. Find never, out, never saw them again. We did good. find out later that that <clears throat> that was unknown. Excuse me. We did find out later that was a known. A known tactic. A known tactic. And a known area. It's now okay. closed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Amazing. Uh, any any other little gems <laughs> you might want to share? Because I loved hearing that. That was amazing. Uh, uh, just just that um, some of the best experiences we've ever had are completely unplanned. Um, that you can overplan your explorations that exploration is about i like that you said looking you know seeing noticing you said the word noticing a lot um exploration is about noticing the world around you and if you've planned it to within an inch of its life you've strangled the sense of exploration Mm -hmm. so some of the most terrific experiences like in South America we were we drove from Ushuaia at the tip to Arequipa in Peru you know one one day we we totally violated all the things we've ever said which was you know don't drive at night in unknown areas and you don't overtire yourself because that's when you get in fights and and you just you know really mess things up and so this was like a four by 14 hours of driving. We were both really toast and we couldn't find a place to camp. I had planned some, you know, I did was looking ahead. Where would we camp? All the places we thought we could camp were private, no camping, nothing. And it ended up being a Peruvian holiday. And actually, excuse me, we were in Chile. It was a Chilean holiday and no place to stay. So we were going to end up just sleeping just in the back of the truck on the side of the road. Turned around the corner, came upon this tiny little village, uh, beautiful, beautiful village with this town square. Pulled up to the only place to stay, which was a small hotel, little pension. And they had one room. We grabbed it. I don't even know how much it cost. It didn't matter. And walked out of the hotel and there was a massive local party going on in the streets. There was music and food vendors and dancing and in, in native costume. It was some, it was part of the holiday that we didn't know. And it was probably the, one of the best travel experiences we've ever had. Super. Wow. Just, just, we spent hours and hours and hours just wandering around, listening to music and eating delicious food. And it was, that's an exploration that's, you know, non-planned, just go for it. But yeah, it was looking pretty, pretty like a grim night at a truck stop. You've all been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree about the the not over planning and how over planning can, like you say, can strangle the exploration out of a trip. But what advice would you give to someone who's listening who maybe doesn't feel like they have the confidence to go on a trip without planning? Because I know that if you're going somewhere new and you're going out of your comfort zone, a way to kind of try and control that is to make sure you've got everything booked mm-hmm. and it is to overplan. For any of us, a little little piece of advice or something that you could, well, a bit of wisdom you could share. Yeah, I I think it's smart on on your first journeys to plan pretty carefully and try mm-hmm. to avoid surprises. 
And then once you've done that and you've said, okay, I can drive this distance in a day, we've seen this, we can stop there, then you can start to branch out and take, mm. take a few more risks. Yeah, I think that that would be good advice. I I'm trying to I'm trying to think back to our early 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 uh, I don't think we explorations. Ever we never overplanned though. But remember, <laughs> we grew up. Uh, I did. Uh, my my father mother took us on long trips and packed all the children into uh, was that travel all? I don't know what the the British version would have been. A big big vehicle with with lots of seats because right we're Irish Catholic five kids plus our friends is upwards of eight kids sometimes packed into one vehicle I don't know if we have cars that big in England <laughs> I don't I know I was just thinking that what in the world would you have done We'd call that you know, a minibus I, I think <laughs> that was it yeah so it was four-wheel drive but so I learned from my dad I think a lot just subliminally right he yeah he mm. would plan uh, probably too much being an engineer. And though, so I think I absorbed a lot of that knowledge of, of, you know, how to plan trips. But I also saw that it caused a lot of tension that they would, you know, oh, we had to be at this campsite at this time. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we had to take this route. And that kind of made my mom crazy uh, a lot of times because of the pressure to to go, 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 go. And again, pointing out the disparity between us, I started backpacking by myself when I was eight years old. So from a very early age, I learned to just head down a trail with a pack surplus army rucksack and <laughs> get as far as I could and stop and eat and sleep and then keep going the next day. What? No planning Did whatsoever. Did I mishear you? Did you say eight years old? Eight, eight years old. What? Yeah. Oh, you just wandered <laughs> off into the wilderness on your own with your, and, with your backpack. And you just decided to brush past this. <laughs> just like, okay, you have to expand on this. <laughs> it's just what it was, he does. No, it was just, again. It was just. It was. It was get. It was getting away. I had a. I had a stepfather who probably would have been happy if I hadn't made it back. So he didn't mm. put any any controls on that. Our house was on the edge of a wild area. There was actually a, a stream that nearby, even though even though we were in the Sonoran Desert, we were near the Catalina Mountains, which is a 9,000 foot range of mountains. So there was a semi-perennial stream that flowed quite near to our house. And there were hiking trails that went into the mountains. <laughs> uh, when we first moved out there, I was seven and started just started hiking along. And then I got a army surplus rucksack and sea rations, army food and... <laughs> God knows what it weighed, but I just tumped this thing up in, into the wow. hills and stayed out at night. It was a different wow. time, though, too, because uh, I don't know if it was because of the my family was so large. My parents lost track of how many children they had and where they were. But <laughs> we we had our bicycles and little motorcycles and our horses. And when I was eight or nine, ten years old, we were off all by ourselves way away from home on our motorcycle or our bikes or our, our horse. And hmm. my parents just said, be home by dark. And my dad said, if if you're going to get hurt, do it by a road so I can find you. Uh, <laughs> but wow. it's a different today, isn't it? We don't it's let our children do that sphere, anymore. It's a isn't it? Yeah. Like that would be seen yeah. as neglect now because everyone's scared right. about You'd be arrested or whatever is out child. there. Yeah. 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 No. Quite true. No, I think they expected us to take care of ourselves and they trusted us to to be smart. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Um, I have a question. So 
looking back, I'd love to know what sacrifices, personal or professional, you had to make along the way in exchange for this long-term exploration. Because as we know, life is made up of compromises and concessions. We, we get that question a lot. And for us, it was pretty simple. And we knew from the beginning what we wanted to do, uh, what we wanted to be. We wanted to pursue these weird careers of writing and uh, natural history work, conservation work. We knew those so-called careers weren't going to pay very much money. <laughs> so we planned for that from the beginning. We never got into heavy debt. We adopted early on what we called the Circle K financial plan. I don't know if you know what a Circle K is, but it's a small chain of convenience convenience stores scattered (laughs) around the U.S. And our our Circle K financial plan uh, meant that we never got into debt more than what having two jobs as clerks at a Circle K could cover. So we never had a big mortgage. We never had big houses. We never had expensive. Didn't buy new cars. Yeah, we just we lived within our means. So we never got into trouble not making a lot of money because we never had a lot of debt. And yeah, that that was our our big thing. And that's not a regret, really, uh, or sacrifice. Uh, That was just simply acknowledging that we would live that way. Maybe for some people that was a sacrifice not to have a large house and a pool, swimming pool and three cars and um, all of that. Oh, I know. For me, the biggest sacrifice is not having pets. Oh, no. that's a good one. Yeah. We, we, both of us. True. Both yeah. of us. Yeah. We travel too much. We don't want to do that to a pet. I mean, cats usually, like, they don't really care. But... Um, <laughs> But dogs, we miss our dogs. We we yeah. have had a dog, but long time ago. Yeah, that's true. That's a sacrifice. Yeah, that is a that is a real sacrifice. We're we're walking around like wherever we go, but particularly here in Nepal, there are lots of street dogs that are actually yeah. called community dogs out here, um, because the community kind of look after them and. Most oh. of them, I'd say 99% of them, are so friendly and such lovely dogs. And we just love to adopt them. And we keep saying, God, if we're ever in a situation, like I, <laughs> yeah. I want to have a dog so badly. So, yeah, we can relate to that That's 100%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of street dogs. We've come very close to just saying, oh, get in the truck, come on. <laughs> <laughs> whoops, adopted. Whoops. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> you get to the border, it's like, oh, this dog? <laughs> what? Oh my gosh, there's a dog. <laughs> that actually reminds me of this time, Tanya and I, this was before we were even properly dating. This was like our third date. Tanya flew out to Croatia to meet with me and my best friend who were traveling in the camper van that I inherited from mum, or that I would go on to inherit from mum. And we were driving along the road in... I think we were... We Bosnia? Were, it was Bosnia. Bosnia. We were driving along in Bosnia and we saw a little kitten just on its own on the side of the road. So we pulled over... I jumped out and ran over to it and it literally started running towards me, mewing, like mew, mew. And mm. we were like, okay, that it needs help. It's noticed me. It wants my help. So I was like, okay, so we picked it up and we started feeding it oat milk because that's all we had. We so, so we fed it some oat milk out of the little uh, oat milk lid. So um, we called her Lydia. So we called her Lydia. Very creative. Oh. Um, 
That's the kiss of death once you name it. Exactly. That's exactly it. So we were like, okay, what do we do now? So we were driving along with this kitten in the van and we were all three of us, myself, Tanya, and my best friend, Taylor. We were all like kind of panicking, but also really excited and also falling in love with this kitten that was being really cute and nibbling on my beard. Um, (laughs) And we ended up accidentally crossing over the border into Kosovo, smuggling a cat. We were like, we actually started saying, what happens if we get to a border? Are you allowed to cross a border with an animal? And then round the corner, there's the border. So we accidentally smuggled this cat across the border. And then we stopped off at a small little corner shop along the main road to get some tuna or something to feed it. Tuna is what we ended up getting. Tanya and Taylor ran in and did that. And on the way out, I was like, do you want to just ask them just out of interest if they want a cat? And And I looked at Adam like, that is such a silly thing to say random question like, to like, shop owner it's like uh, of course like way, who's gonna say who's gonna say yes and i literally i was like well what have you got to lose exactly. like, all i can do is say no so, so i was like fair enough so tanya went in asked them and they said yes and tanya didn't believe them she's like oh. do you understand what i actually just asked you and they're like yes a cat we have mice so it's like perfect <laughs> so we ended up oh. rehoming this little kitten and hopefully oh my lydia gosh. is still there Catching nice. mice and living oh, in a, living in a little place. Oh, good. I'm sure you guys follow uh, Dean. One the one was it one bike one world Nala the cat on Instagram. I don't think oh, we do. Oh, we are gonna have to now. Are you the now. only oh, yeah. people on the planet who don't follow Uh-oh. Dean and one bike out. one world? It's one bike one world. He's been he was on his way around the world on his bicycle solo, and I believe it was either. Cro- Goodness, I think it was one of it might have been. Croatia or I don't remember what country he was in when a little kitten came out of like a terrible shape. She was just tiny, tiny Aww. thing and 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 he adopted her and Aww. they've been riding around the world. Oh um, my god. We're gonna have to go follow them. You do, yeah. You do. Uh I you'd be like number two million one hundred and one or something <laughs> because <laughs> Seriously, the entire world follows. Right. Wow, well, that's well, another podcast guest to try and try and poach. Absolutely, <laughs> yes, because yeah. he's making an enormous difference in the world. And here's the other thing about exploration and and traveling like that is you can make a difference. And Dean is making an enormous distance difference with his followers. He does have a huge number of Instagram followers um, because Nala is absolutely adorable. Dean is cute too, but Nala's the cat, <laughs> and she's really a cute cat. Um, but he's now made his his mission, he and Nala's mission, to, to do animal rescue and to raise money. And uh, you just have to see what they're doing. He's making a difference with what he's doing. And that's a huge, huge part of what we want. Mm. We, we've always tried to do too. We don't mm. travel just for ourselves. And I think that's a good lesson. So you, you've written on your website, we are constantly reading, exploring new ideas and crafts and skills. My question is, why is this growth mindset important to you? And have you always thought this way? Oh, good question. Yes, I've always felt that way. Always. Me too, always. Yeah. But for me, it was watching my parents who were incredibly multi-talented, multi-interested. It was a constant, oh, we could learn to do this. You know, my, my father w- was a you know rocket engineer for Raytheon, Hughes Aircraft Company. He developed guided missile systems. Whoa. But he, in his 
when he came home at night, he would make jewelry or he would do woodworking or all these things. My mother, same, she was a classical pianist. She taught us wildflowers and exploring and crafts and all these things. So for me, it's always been the world was just open to, hey, I could do that, you know, teach myself how to draw, teach myself whatever. Same with Jonathan. He got interested in in longbows, British longbows, from a historical standpoint. And then the next thing I knew, there's a a U log in our garden, and he's making a longbow. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he, he built his own longbow <laughs> and then took it to a longbow competition. It was awesome. Oh, so can oh you do God. that? Yeah, you, you can do anything. Uh, so is that part of the... Yeah. Just throwing yeah, that in. Yeah, it's part of the growth mindset, yes, because exploring isn't just physical. It isn't just going from point A to point B or conquering something or being the first to do something. It's also a mental exploration is mental. It can be reading that incredible biography of like Jonathan's reading a biography of Theodore Roosevelt right now and learning things that he never learned. That's that's an exploration. That's expanding your knowledge of the world and uh, we we just have been very passionate about that, and and it's what's always driven us a fuel. For, so, <laughs> sorry for the pun. <laughs> again, going back to our our different backgrounds, uh, one of my main escapes as a kid was reading, and one of the one of the things I will give will give my mother credit for is she always kept me supplied with books, uh, book clubs, and books that I wanted. So I always had things to read, and you can't read without learning mm-hmm. it's impossible mm-hmm. uh and i devoured anything i i read the tarzan books when i was a kid i read stories of explorers and that was all exploration all of it and as well as going out backpacking and exploring the creek you can't do that and not learn things mm-hmm. it's impossible what, so. what about your fractal exploration? jonathan developed something he calls fractal exploration Hmm. Yes. So we hear that everything's been done constantly. You know, the the poles have been conquered. We've explored the deepest depths of the ocean. People have crossed continents uh, on foot and on skis. And at at times it just seems like everything's been done. And I've actually had people say to me, well, you know, what's what's the point of exploring anymore? So I developed this I, this concept called fractal exploration. And if you know about fractals, it's a, it's a concept of taking, taking a large thing and looking at it closely. And sometimes you find repeating patterns as you go closer and closer. And so fractal exploration is the idea of not taking a huge part of the world and exploring it, but taking a very small part of the world and exploring it more closely. So, for for example, um, an example I gave was when we kayaked up to Tuktoyaktuk um, uh, along the Arctic coast. We paddled part of the same coast that Roald Amundsen passed on his way to completing the Northwest Passage. So he did this massive groundbreaking exploration, com- com- completing the Northwest Passage for the first time in history. But... We took a much smaller part of the coast 
than he passed and explored it much more carefully. So we actually saw things that Roland Amundsen didn't on his way to conquering the Northwest Passage. That's fractal exploration. And there's still millions of things, places to explore it's if unlimited. you take them. It's unlimited. There's no, there's no limit to a fractal exploration. I love that. that. That kind of almost is full circle to what we were speaking about earlier in the conversation about taking two hours to go 200 yards. That's like the ultimate fractal yeah. exploration, exact, right? Exactly. You're exactly. Zooming, zooming in and, and really exploring deeply one very small place and getting to know it intimately i think it's i exactly. think that's beautiful and I, I was going to add also slow travel is an, an mm. another way to do this right because i think especially when we're talking about like travel and adventure in this maybe it's just our echo chamber we see a lot of people counting the number of countries that they've been to Oh, um, that's one of my favorite things to talk about please yes. please <laughs> please no but i mean we, we should talk about that because it's something that Adam and I have conversations over is that like whilst it's um, it can be exciting when we talk to someone who uh, claims to have traveled to X amount of countries, I, I have turned to Adam and said, but in that time, how could they have really explored? How could they have really lived those places? Because yeah, it's experience. Like, mm -hmm. like I have never kept count, actually, of how many countries that I've been Yay. to because Bless it doesn't you. matter Yay. i was just, yes. <laughs> yeah i was just going to say ask us how many countries yeah. we've been to we don't know i, <laughs> I, re no I, I refuse to count i refuse Never to count counted. yeah that's good I, yeah. I suppose i could i'm mm -hmm. sure i know there are people who have visited way more countries than we have and we're lucky enough to have visited way more countries than most, most americans people. have but I refuse to use that metric whenever anyone asks. Or miles. I have no idea how many miles. I mean, after all, you could you can drive through, what, eight or nine countries in Europe in a day yeah. if you decide <laughs> yeah. to. And tick those off on your on your list yeah. of the countries you visited. But what have you learned? Do you, do you have to get out of the car to tick them off, do you think? Or could you just drive right through? <laughs> oh, no. Why get out of the car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So experiences we count experiences not countries yeah good 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 way of looking at it i also just really want to just touch slightly on the on the growth mindset how we spoke what you were speaking about earlier about constantly learning new things and it kind of comes back to how if it's practically doable then you can do it and i think again it's just that mindset that you seem to have and it's really inspirational because it's so easy to get stuck in your lane to find something you're good at and just do it. And then the idea of trying something new is setting yourself up to not be good at something. And that's scary. So that's true. I think mm -hmm. it's just, it's great to, to know that there are, you know, it's another way of exploring. And I think I got a big inspiration again from my mum. She took up the saxophone in her 60s as her retirement project, awesome. one of her retirement nice. projects. Yeah, it was awesome. And, <laughs> and she got really good and she ended up playing in bands. She played like a wedding or two, which I was so wow. out of her comfort and, uh, zone like I can't believe it because she hated yeah. performing or anything like that but she did it and that was for me a real big inspiration really but that's the growth mindset that, that's that, that is exactly what we're talking about it's also you know we can we can talk about it as a philosophy but the growth mindset is also physiologically really really good for you Mm. The more you push your brain to do something new, and I use drawing 
as an example, because so you might look at my journals and go, oh my gosh, I'll never be able to do that. I can't draw like that. I don't have any talent, but that's not true. All it takes, drawing is just a skill. It's just a language that you learn. It's, you're not born, none of us are born being able to draw or play the saxophone. It's just not gonna happen. So you have to do it. You just have to put in the miles of practice, but your brain responds physiologically to that. The more you push your brain, the more neural pathways actually grow in your brain. So your brain grows when you're learning. Mm -hmm. Our brain is hardwired to love learning. It's, yeah. It sets off endorphins when we learn. We know that <clears throat> that is actually true. And so that's why you know, we're kind of addicted to this growth mindset. It makes us happy. It makes yeah. us grow. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. So that's why when I teach drawing, I say, I'm not, you're not learning to draw. You're drawing to learn. Nice. I love it. There's, there's a quote I actually really like that um, it's actually from a rapper, Macklemore, um, and one of his songs, he says, the greats weren't great because they could paint at birth. The greats were great because they painted a lot. And I love that. Oh, awesome. That is yeah. exactly what we're talking about. Um, I'll yeah, send you the I, rap. I, just, I, I, yeah. I love it. I'm going to play that at the beginnings of my classes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. Absolutely, it's true. Yeah, I love it. Amazing. We are so conscious that we have been chatting for a long time and oh, we could, could keep, I could honestly, I could keep talking for hours, but I'm really, can I just say, I'm really excited for when we get to meet in person. I know it's going to happen. We'll make it happen wherever you are. If we are anywhere <laughs> yeah. close, we will come because we would, we would just love to. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I, I just really, really enjoying all of this. And it's also multifaceted. There's like the onions of being like just the layers and all of it but before before we wrap up we would love to talk about your current and exciting project exploration quarterly could you please tell our listeners what this is and why they should be as excited as us about it all right <laughs> we because of all the passions we've talked about here mm -hmm. it led us naturally to back back to one of our deepest loves which is is writing and sharing and visual storytelling mm -hmm. and so we are in the midst right now of giving birth to a new project it is it is a magazine uh, which will have it's called exploration quarterly and it will have two print issues a year and we're intentionally choosing two print issues because we want people to sit back you know grab a, a pint or a coffee or what have you mm -hmm. and disconnect from the internet and and digital things which which can be a bit taxing to our brains and read about and learn about everything from you know what are some of our departments we're, we're going to we're going to cover uh historic expeditions uh his, historic explorers we're going to do articles on classic pieces of exploration kit mm -hmm. we're going to do gosh correct uh, current natu travel natural like, history yeah. current scientific expeditions we'll be covering a lot of current scientific research and also journeys that anyone can do, such as the Dalton Highway or Baja. So we're, we're just going to try to cover everything that exploration encompasses, which, as we've been talking about today, 
is everything from you know, physical exploration to mental journeys of exploration to the broad and expansive to the fractal. So we will be covering everything in between. Everyone can be an explorer. That's really what we want to get across. It's not something that's reserved just for the, the very wealthy or the very fearless. It's exploration is something we can all do. We are all explorers. That's what makes us human. Mm. And so two printed issues, oh, but two, it's Exploration yeah. Quarterly, so, uh, yes, so. go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we're going to get creative for the other two uh, quarters, which will be printed as well as digital, but, but sometimes printed, it'll be things that arrive in your mailbox that will surprise you. Mm-hmm. And it will be, um, well, we won't tell you exactly what they're going to yeah. be, but it'll be like getting something, a secret thing in the mail nice. twice a year. So we're, we want to have fun. And push people's brains. Oh, love, oh, love that. It. So how can our listeners get involved and get their hands on, on this? Yes, we'll be we'll be launching charter subscriptions later this year. So right now we'll be at they can find us at exploringoverland.com forward slash exploration quarterly. And we will offer, we're going to offer a, a special discount for your listeners as well. So when that subscription comes up. If they use the code Adventure Mindset, mm-hmm. then that will unlock a special discount for listeners Amazing. of Woo-hoo. your podcast. Very oh. kind, very exciting. Thank you so much. That is really exciting. Oh, I, I love it. There's there's nothing that you two can't and haven't done. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I don't know how to play the saxophone. awesome well thank you so much for your time there's just two more questions that we have for you that we ask all our guests and the first one is for a book recommendation you get one book recommendation each okay all right i'm i'm going to throw you a a real wild card my inspirational book is is called the unlikely voyage of jack de crow mm-hmm and the uh, it's by a man named A.J. McKinnon, mm-hmm. and it is the most unlikely adventure book you will ever read. It's about a teacher in Wales who, on the grounds of the school, and this was maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, found a derelict mirror dinghy, which is a little tiny 12-foot-long boat with a mast that you can sail. And he decided to take this boat and just do maybe a couple of weeks exploring on the waterways of Wales and Southern England and had hilarious misadventures. I, I read this book in stitches. <laughs> Not only did he wind up exploring the waterways of Southern England, he wound up crossing the English Channel in this boat and crossing, it all away. And crossing half of Europe. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So it's 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 one of the most inspiring books I've ever read. And he probably spent 500 pounds on the whole journey. Yeah. And that's a true yeah. story. True story. Wow. Absolutely that's, true story. Well, that's going on my list. Incredible. Great. We'll, of course, leave yeah. that linked. Yeah. And Roseanne, you're. Yes. So, gosh, that's so funny. We didn't plan this at all. Seriously. Uh, Mine is more fractal. I'm going to turn inwards. And this is a book that was just recommended to me by someone on Instagram when I wrote about journaling about everyday places, journaling about your 
your backyard, your garden, because it's not always, you don't always have to go to the Serengeti to have epic experiences. Mm -hmm. And so this book is by uh, Harvard professor John Stilgo, and it's called Outside Lies Magic, Mm -hmm. Regaining History and Awareness in Everyday Places. Nice. And it is a beautiful book. It's old now. It was 1994, 95, I think. But it still absolutely resonates. And if only you read the first chapter will blow your mind about how noticing and seeing will change your life. How to see what is in front of you. How to be an explorer. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful mm. book. Oh. Really special. Thank you so much for those recommendations. As always, we were going to leave those linked in our show notes, along with your website, along with the link straight to the Exploration Quarterly, all of it. And right before we, we say goodbye, we do have one last question, which is the closing tradition that we have on the show. So for the listeners who have gotten this far into the conversation, We're going to ask you to pick a secret code emoji. So this will be the emoji that they'll be able to send to you on Instagram and to us to let us know that they have made it this far into the conversation so that we know where they came from. Mm, Well, how about if we turn it around instead of an emoji, they should post on our Instagram. We both have Instagram actively. Um, Tell us what they would like to explore, what their their ultimate exploration would be rather than emoji. Let's let's do something a little deeper. Let's go tell us something about their explorations. Oh, challenging. I like it. I love okay. it. You're the first yeah. guest who have ever done that, and I'm not even surprised. <laughs> something and we're different. You get away with it. Because <laughs> we don't well, we don't do emojis anyway, but um yeah, this way we'll know they really listened, right? It's exactly. about paying attention. That, nice. that that is the purpose. That exactly is. I can't believe that we've just had this incredible conversation. Thank you so, so much to the two of you for your time, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing these amazing stories. We feel honored and privileged that we've been able to sit and have this conversation with you. We were delighted to be here. Absolutely delighted. It was so much fun to meet you. And yes, we'll have to, to... Figure out where to meet up somewhere in the world, which we're just going to have to let the let the star lines collide and, and we'll <laughs> see you where we see you. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. And yeah, we'll see you where we see you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.